Alrighty, well, Rudy had a psalm, and I've got a psalm. So if you want to turn to Psalm 126, that's where we're going to be at tonight. Psalm 126, and the title of our message is, It's Really Not a Dream. Psalm 126, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. It's a short psalm. When the Lord turned again, or reversed, the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. And then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue with singing, And then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. And the Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. And they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And so this psalm is a a group of 15 psalms that are known as the Psalms of Ascent. And it begins with Psalm 120, and it goes all the way up to Psalm 134. And so with the exception of Psalm 132, which is 18 verses, that's still not a really long psalm, most of these psalms are relatively short, you know, three to eight verses. And for the most part, they are very positive. They're uplifting songs of praise. So they're kind of like the praise choruses that we sing here or something that you would listen to if you got kids. They like to pop in those little praise choruses where you're driving in a car with your family and everybody likes them. And they're, so they're just very short, uplifting, simple praise songs magnifying God and his deliverance. And the reasons they're called the Psalms of Ascent is because the Jews would sing them as they made their pilgrimages up to Jerusalem for for the four great feasts that they have. So if you ever notice, they always say they came down from Jerusalem and up because Jerusalem's built up on a hill. So you think they came down from Jerusalem, but the place is north. Well, they're talking about that you have to ascend up, climb up, climb down. It's on a hill. So this is called one of the Psalms of Ascent. You had to ascend up to Jerusalem to get to Zion. And they'd sing these praise songs. And so the first one, Psalm 120, it's mostly a song of distress. But the last one, Psalm 134, that's the one you sing when you got there. And it's a psalm. We actually sing this psalm. It's a psalm of pure praise. And just look over at it just for something to do. Psalm 134, verses 1 to 3. Like I said, most of them are very short. You look through here. And we sing this song, Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord that made heaven and earth, he'll bless thee out of Zion. Well, that's the very last one they'd sing. That's a good one to end on, isn't it? Maybe we can end that way tonight. I don't know. (laughs) Not dropping hints or anything, but I'm really not. So they'd sing those songs with their families and others as they journeyed four times a year up to Zion. Year after year, they'd sing these same songs. And so their children would learn them, and they would probably be just like our kids do. They sing our song. They just sing them while they're playing. And it's just a good way to get the word in your heart, isn't it? I mean, you really can't beat when they have, you have a nice tune and they put the psalms to it or any portion of Scripture. You just can't beat that, can you? I mean, it's just a good way of getting the word in your heart. And your children and we and everyone else are singing these songs. You're singing these songs that we sing. And it just gets God's faithfulness in your heart. Sing them during the day. Sing them as you're going to work. Singing them, whatever. So we're looking at Psalm 126 tonight, and it speaks of a new beginning for the nation of Israel because their captivity has been turned. When the Lord brought back, verse 1, the captivity 
of Zion. And they're excited because they'd spent 70 years in captivity. They'd spent 70 years in a foreign land, 70 years living far from home. But now they're back. Their fortunes were just suddenly turned. Suddenly turned, and they can't believe it's happened. And they said, it's like a dream. We were like somebody that was dreaming. And so if you would turn to put something there, and actually Faith quoted this <laughs> Uh, Jeremiah 29, Faith quoted this today, but this is part of the message. So look in Jeremiah 29. So they're saying when their captivity, we're saying their captivity was turned, it was just like they were a dream. It just happened all at once. Jeremiah 29 and beginning in verse 10. It says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, God told Israel, I will visit you and I will perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. When God chastises his people, it's always for good. His intention is always to make the latter end better than the beginning. And that's what he says here, verse 11. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, Thoughts of peace, not of evil, even though it would seem to us sometimes when you're being chastised, doesn't it seem like it's thoughts of evil? But no, he says, not thoughts of evil, to give you an expected end. And he says, then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me. And God says, I will hearken unto you, and you will seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And what does he say he'll do? I'll turn away your captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I'll bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. And he's saying, I'll do that. That's God's desire. That's his plan. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. Right? That's what he desires towards us. We need to get that in our hearts. So there's many forms of captivity. That's what we're talking. If you go back to that Psalm 126, the Lord turned again the captivity of captivity of Zion. And so like I've been saying, like Israel in this psalm, it may be chastisement because of sin. And so Israel had long continued in sin and they just refused to turn away from it. And God said he sent many prophets. Many times he sent his word to warn them. He says, rising up early and speaking, he said, but you heard it not. And I called you, but you answered not. And finally, after ignoring God over and over and over again, he sent them into Babylonian captivity. And when that happens, what happens? One day Israel wakes up and they're not in their own beds. No longer in their own beds. They no longer could go to the temple to worship. They're in captivity. Why? Because of their own sins. But we just read it in Jeremiah. What did he tell them? When you're in captivity, when you're in chastisement, it's the same with James 5, isn't it? Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And the implication later on is that if he has sins, they shall be forgiven him. Is that, I mean, that's a pretty severe chastisement. You're on your flat out on your back. Can't get up. You've got to have some elders come and anoint you with oil. But the implication is that may have caused your chastisement, your sickness. But he's saying, if that's the case and you repent, God says, I will raise you up. Right. Amen. His always his goal is to turn us from captivity. All the chastisement, all it is when things aren't going right in your life. You got your kids going crazy. Your work's not working right. You got that yuck feeling inside. All of that stuff happens from the Lord. And if you're the Lord's is to wake us up. 
Because he said, if you're not illegitimate, if you legitimately are his child, you're going to get a whipping. And what's a whipping? It's not to destroy your kid, is it? It's just to get him right back into doing the right thing, to learn some lessons. So next time he's feeling that back there when he gets tempted to take that path or that course that wasn't good, he's like, man, that last time I did that, that didn't have a good result on my back end. I won't think twice about that. And so God just, he just wants us to partake of his holiness. That's what it's all about. So he said, if you'll just repent when you're in your captivity, repent and trust me, there'll come a day I'll deliver you and restore you. And that is exactly what he did to Israel. Sometimes, though, another form of captivity, sometimes just our trials can be a captivity, can't they? They really can be. You haven't sinned, but your circumstances, it just seems like you're in the devil's jail. You long to be free from your circumstances. And so we can have all kinds of trouble, depression, miserable. You could just be miserable. You're backsliding. I guess that's a form of sin, but it's just, you're just miserable, right? Plagued with doubt. And the thing is, you cry out to God, and it's, the Bible promises when you do that, he delivers us. And sometimes, especially, you've been backslidden for a long time. Man, I remember I had one time, it wasn't so much I was backslidden, I was just really struggling with, did God love me? And I thought I'd done something that, this is years back. And I remember just like that, he just turned everything around, supernaturally. Did something for me. And I mean, it was like I was in a dream because I went from in the morning, things couldn't have been darker, to the, in the evening, it's like, man, everything is okay. I got an old harvest song, it's all right now. There's nothing to fear for me, my friend. It's all right now. And man, there's nothing like it when the Lord says that to you, isn't it? When he says that to your heart. But that's what happens. You cry out to God, he delivers us. And like I said, it just sometimes seems too good to be true. What the Lord does is like, man, I know the way I've been living or whatever. I don't deserve this. It's like experiencing a dream. And when that happens, I'm like, please don't wake me up. I don't sleep enough as it is anyways, but yeah, especially if it's the Lord doing something like that, right? And that's the way God works through the Bible, isn't it? I mean, he brings men down to raise them up, doesn't he? And he likes to give examples, and, and the examples are real things that happen to people in their lives, of bringing people into literal captivity into prison and to deliver them. And the obvious example of that or illustration of that is Joseph. Joseph put in prison, his ankles are hurt from the shackles, and yet he never questioned God's goodness. He maintained his faith, didn't he, in God's loving care. Never, never doubted, no matter what his circumstances looked like. His hand, God's hand, was on everything he did in prison. And then, wasn't it, it was actually through a dream, wasn't it? It was like a dream, through a dream, that all of a sudden, overnight, everything's turned around, isn't it? He goes from being chained down in a prison, you know, could have easily been executed, to where he's all of a sudden second in command. It's like a dream. He turned our captivity, totally reversed it, is what it says in the Hebrew. And isn't that what happened to Joseph? But what had to happen first before that could happen? What's happening to Israel? What's happening to us, whether it's trials or chastisement? There is a work of humility that goes on inside of you, isn't there? There is. That's what he's doing. It's a work of humility. And that's what he says in James 4. It says that God resists the proud, doesn't he? But he gives his grace to whom? The humble. And he says, goes on to say, humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he'll reverse your circumstances. What does it say? He will lift you up. 
Just let him do that work in you. Let him do that humiliating work. And we got another New Testament example of captivity, and that's in Acts 12. Herod has James beheaded, and he sees how much that pleases the Jews. He's like, I'm going to add another head on my wall. I'm going to take care of Peter. His head would even be better. So you arrest Peter, puts him in jail. Peter is in captivity, isn't he? He's chained just like Joseph, awaiting his death. The next day, the angel appears to him in jail. I mean, Peter is so much at peace in God's will that says the angel appears. I mean, that would wake me up. Like, what happened to you, honey? Oh, no, it's an angel. (laughs) My wife's an angel. But anyways, he's so much in sleep, it says he had to strike him on the side to wake him up. That's something. He was out of it, wasn't he? He wasn't worried about losing his head. An angel tells Peter to follow him, and Peter, it says, he's not sure if he's dreaming or not. That's what it says. Just like Psalm 126, just like the Jews delivered from their captivity. And here's what it says. It says, he went out and followed him, the angel, and it says, he knew not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. He thinks he's dreaming. (laughs) Too good to be true. The gate opens on its own. I would still think I was dreaming too if I saw that happen. That's like something you see on TV. And the angel and Peter go out into the street and the angel disappears. And then Peter finally realizes, wait a minute, this isn't a dream. He must have pinched himself a couple times, right? Because it says this, and when Peter was come to himself, comes to himself, realizes what's going on. He said, now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And so he's like, well, I'm going to go on over to my buddy John Mark's house, knocking on the door. And Rhoda answers, just shuts the door on Peter's face and goes back. She can't believe what's going on here. Thought she heard Peter's voice tells the others. They're like, you are crazy, woman. That's too good to be true. And he just stood on the door patiently just kept knocking right till they finally come back and it says when they open the door and there stands Peter it says we thought we were dreaming it says they were astonished at what God had done but that's the way our Lord works it was a dream but it wasn't was it it was reality it's really not a dream well let me ask you how do you think Joseph when he went from the dungeon to second in command, how do you think he acted when he was just with himself? Or how do you think Peter and all those saints in that house acted once Peter walked through that door and he was released? How do you think the Jews reacted when they realized their deliverance was not a dream? Well, don't look at me. Look in verse 2 and then we'll find out. Look <laughs> what it says. Psalm 126, verse 2, it says, This is what happened. Then our mouth was filled with what? Laughter and our tongue with singing. And then they said among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. Their mouth was filled with laughter, it says, and their tongue with singing. Mouths filled with laughter. So think about it. What makes people laugh? What makes us laugh? It's when the unexpected happens or something that's incongruous, something that just is out of the ordinary happens, right? Something that's out of place. So I mean... So you could watch people walk in and out of church on any night, right? Everyone's the same. They walk to their chair, they put their, they sit down, put their Bible in their lap, and that'd be pretty boring, wouldn't it? Nobody'd think anything was funny about that, would they? 
But let's say I can pick on my own son. Thomas comes walking in. and Everybody's kind of sitting here getting ready for church to start. And for some reason, he's got 100 ping pong balls in a box in his hand. And he's carrying it. 100 ping pong balls in a box. And he gets walking a little too fast and he trips. And all those ping pong balls go flying. I mean, you're laughing, hearing about it. It's just, it's just like crazy. That's like funny. I'd, I'd have trouble not laughing, right? Because it's something out of the ordinary. It's unexpected, out of place. But look, that's what's happening to Israel here, isn't it? They're in this boring, oppressive routine for 70 years. Same routine. They knew about the promise, but I doubt anybody was counting the days on a calendar. And then it's saying, suddenly, unexpectedly, Cyrus issues his decree. Y'all can go back home. You're free. Go on home. And it says what? We weren't expecting this. Praise God. And it says their mouth was filled with laughter. <laughs> this is great. And they were singing happiness and joy. And listen, all of us in here that knows when any chastisement is over and God has restored what he's taken, the joy that fills your heart has to come out, doesn't it? Just like the Jews, your mouth will be filled with laughter and your tongue with singing. And listen, the people even of Babylon where they're staying, the ones that took them into captivity, they realize, hey, this is no small thing that's happened to these people for them to be restored. Look at the end of verse 2. That's what it says. And then said they among the who? Not the saints. It says, then said they among the heathen. The Lord has done great things for them. And so the Babylonians, they had heard through the Jews of the greatness of the God of Israel. They heard that he was a God of justice, but they'd also heard that he was a God of great mercy. But now what's happening? They're seeing that mercy with their own eyes, seeing what's happening, that it's true. So they realize, well, injustice he chastised his people and brought him here. But look what he's doing. His mercy is being shown. They told us about his mercy, but now we're seeing it. He's allowing them to go back. That just doesn't happen, right? Restoring them. And they say, wait, the heathen were saying, look what great things God has done for his people. Now that's something when you can get the heathen to magnify God's greatness and his deliverance for us, right? And hey, anytime God grants us answers to prayer or deliverance, we shouldn't be silent, should we? Not even among the heathen. There should be a song in our heart, shouldn't there? Amen. The Lord has done great things for us, it went on to say, whereof we are glad. And others should see that. They should see us praising. They should realize what happened, and they should marvel. They should marvel at our God, is what they should marvel at. You know, there was this prisoner uh, years back when I went in there every Sunday named Joe Brazel. And this guy, well, I mean, he was a hardcore drug dealer. I mean, this was no kidding, hardcore drug dealer. Nobody liked him. Everybody was scared of him. And the guards all knew he was bad news. I didn't know any of that. And so you just go from cell to cell to cell, and you witness to these guys. And so I witnessed to him one time, and I wouldn't have known anything happened with him. And next thing you know, he wants to talk to me. Well, he gets saved. And he tells me, he said, you know, when you came here, because I would always like with Paul, we go through the law, you know, do you realize, you know, have you ever told a lie, you ever done all that? And he said, man, when you did all that, he said, you made me mad. I hated you. I hated you. I didn't want to ever see you again. He said, but I just started thinking about what you were saying. I'm thinking, man, really, all of that stuff is true. 
and God dealt with him, and he really did. I mean, this guy got saved big time. And my point is, when they see what God has done, I'm saying all the prisoners and all the guards, they never have anything good to say about anybody that acts like they're a Christian. This guy, though, even the guards were saying, we've never seen a change like this. And it lasted. It wasn't something that just lasted for a few weeks or a few months. He left that prison saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm saying that's the way it works. And his old mouth, his own mouth was filled. I mean, I could show you letters he wrote me filled with laughter and singing. I've never seen a person so thrilled of the change that took place in their life and the change that took place in his heart and how much he loved the Lord for it. And he affected the other people. So it's a great blessing when sinners, saints will call sinners to talk about the loving kindness that the Lord has shown his people. Amen? Amen. It really is. And this reminded me, I'd read this story years back. There was this lawyer, and his name was Philip Morrow. And he grew up in just your basic denominational church. Well, this guy was brilliant, and intellect was everything to him. And here's the thing, though. He'd given up trying to find meaning in life through science, philosophy, and he even tried the occult. So this guy's super smart. He's looking at science, philosophy, got into the occult, looking for the meaning of life. He finally realizes, man, all of this stuff is just leaving me empty. And he was literally in despair. And his friends, they told him, they didn't realize, they're like, man, you just need a vacation. That's all you need. Just take a vacation somewhere. Need some rest. He said, the one thing they didn't tell me is what I really needed was salvation in Jesus Christ. And he said one night he got tickets. He's, he was good. At, not didn't get tickets. He was going to get tickets to go watch a show in the theater. And he got in this long line to get tickets. And he says, this is his testimony. He says, I don't know what happened. But he goes, but an unseen hand. Next thing you know, I'm directing out of that line and I'm walking down the street. And he said, all of a sudden I'm hearing this music and I'm hearing this singing catches my attention. And he can hear, he goes, the amazing thing was I could hear this singing. It wasn't real loud above all. This is in New York City this happened. Above all of this street noise in New York City, I could hear this faint singing. This hand had taken me this way. And I just keep getting directed towards where this faint singing is. He said he finally ends up at this building and it had a sign outside that said Gospel Tabernacle. And he wrote, there was no natural explanation for me being attracted by the sound of singing and following up on it. Because that just wasn't the way he was. And he said he walked in that building. I'll never forget this. And he said he's greeted by these simple, smiling people. And he said they had pleasant words to speak. And they were having a Christian meeting. And he said, I realized something. He goes, this guy was all about society and social status and he said every one of these people in that building they were way below my social status he said, I wouldn't have anything to do with them in the past he said there was just something about them something about their countenances something about their faces something about this singing something about this simple message that they had that drew him there God drew him there and for him it was like a dream And he got soundly saved. I mean, he's writing about this experience years later. But the other thing is, so had they. And their singing and their joy is what drew him into that. And that's the way it works. Verse 2 says this, Then our mouth was filled with singing, was filled with laughter, our tongues with singing, and then said they among the heathen, The Lord has done great things for us. 
Amen. And he'll do the same for us. I mean, when they even see that God's done something for you, they can't help but remark on it. I mean, I'll never forget. So Greg and I, we got, sa- we got saved. And, you know, you don't think you're that bad, but you really are. And I remember <laughs> got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, and I go over to visit my sister. Well, her next door neighbor had a cousin that went to high school with me and Greg. And so my sister told her, she goes, yeah, my brother John got saved. And I remember she's like, if John Solinger can get saved, anybody can get saved. And I'm like, hey, I wasn't that bad. I was that bad for her to say that. But I mean, there's just God will give praise, right? The work he's done. It wasn't anything I did. I was running away from him. But that's the way it works. And so look down in verses five and six. Look what it says there. It says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy, and he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, typically that's talked about missionary experience, right? But what it's saying there is your chastisement or your trial, it may bring tears of sorrow. And the seed you're sowing now may be watered by your tears. That's what it's saying in verse 6. But he's saying one day, If you'll allow the trial to do its work, you will reap what? You may be sowing in tears through this chastisement or this trial you're walking in, but he's saying one day you're going to reap in what? Joy and rejoicing. That is what is going to come. So as we die to ourselves, it could be anything. It could be somebody giving you a hard way to go. We die to ourselves at the cross. We're sown in death, aren't we? Sown in death with Jesus. Nevertheless, there is a promise there that no matter how bad this trial is, whatever it is, sickness, deliverance, someone giving you a hard way to go, whatever, that someday you may be sowing in tears, right? But there is going to come a reaping day, isn't there? There's going to come a reaping day of joy and gladness beyond your wildest dreams. That's what it's saying. Get the answer to your prayers. There'll be a joy of that release. But most importantly, I would say you'll know that all things are well between you and the Lord. Amen. I think that is the most important thing that you get out of that. Because one day, what's going to happen? We are all going to see the Lord face to face, aren't we? And so whatever tears we have to shed on this side of glory, it'll be worth it. Ask Jackie Hood. I mean, it wasn't just what she went through physically. She had a lot of things come her way, and she maintained a good attitude, maintained her faith, and I guarantee you she's reaping in joy. Sowed a lot of tears, but she's reaping in joy and laughter. That's the way it works. Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And we just need to look at our life here. This is just a temporary apartment we're living in until our true home is completed. Amen. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says, right? We're going to groan in this earthly tabernacle. And the, the older you get, the more you're groaning. I mean, God will keep it in repair, won't he? That's what he promises to do. But man, you just can't wait to be clothed upon with your glorious resurrected body. Amen? So that, that graveside, that it's, it's planted. What we're planting is corruptible. It's decrepit. It's weak. It's natural. But what you put in that ground is not what God brings back up, right? And that's the gospel, isn't it? The resurrection of the body. The spirit goes to be with the Lord. That's where Jackie's spirit is now. 
forever with the Lord. But one day her body is going to be reunited with her spirit. But it's not going to be the same, is it? It's not going to be a corruptible body that's subject to sickness and torment and hunger and thirst. It won't be like that at all, will it? It'll be an incorruptible, powerful, supernatural body, spiritual body, but it'll be our body. And that's something to look forward to. So I just want to end by saying we, until that time, though, we're going to have a lot of battles to fight. We're going to have a lot of tears to shed, aren't we? We've got a lot of sowing to do, a lot of chastisements and corrections to endure. And the reason I read that out of Hebrews 11 is we've got to keep our eyes on the prize, don't we? Right. The new Jerusalem. It is going to come down the new heavens and the new earth with the presence of God is going to fill every corner. You'll never be without it again. You never have to wonder where he is. He'll be in every corner. His light. There will be no more darkness at all. No need to sleep. We'll be dwelling in his presence forever. And that is something to look forward to. You know, one thing I do want to say and go back in, who is the one that grants us our deliverances? The first three verses tell us what? Who is it that grants us our deliverances? Look what it says. It's the Lord. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. And then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. And then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are all glad. And it's just like with waking up or being in a dream. We took no part in any of it, did we? We can't take any credit for it. God did it all. We just wake up and here we are, saved people. <laughs> he brought us into his kingdom. What? <laughs> so you read a laughter, rejoicing, singing, and joy, and all those are evidences of is the salvation that God has worked up, worked out in us by his power alone. It's not us. It has nothing to do with us. We contribute nothing. We don't. If you think you do, you're earning stuff. And we don't earn anything from the Lord. Not that it's really his. We just get to have the joy of seeing him work and yielding to him. Right? And we do have something to do. I'm not saying that. But even that is Philippians, isn't it? It's God that worketh in us both to will, to want to do it, and to do of his good pleasure. He gives us the want to and the ability. It's all of him. It's all of grace, as the book says, as Spurgeon wrote. Well, let me just say, let's just keep holding on to the Lord. Trust him to bring the answers we're believing for, even if it's long delayed. And then when the answer comes, a lot of times, I mean, you get in those trials that seem like they'll never end. The message is what? It'll be like it's a dream. But it's not. It's what God's done. And then it says if we'll hold on to him and his promises and his faithfulness and his power, it says then our mouths will be filled with laughter and our lips with singing forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. And that's my message for tonight. Everybody's going to love me, especially the little kids. I'm going to take Leonard's spot. Everybody always, always like Leonard, but... Keep, keep this up and, yeah, praise the Lord. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, that we know we can trust your word, that your word is true. And that everything you said you'll do with us, Lord, that not one promise has ever failed that you've promised your people, Lord. And, 
We just thank you, Lord, that you are the God that even though at times it seems like we're in captivity, that you will reverse that. And a lot of times overnight in the Bible, you reverse situations that just look dire and hopeless and black. And that's what you do so that you'll get all the glory, Lord. Nothing those people could have done, nothing that we could do to bring about our deliverance. But all the glory goes to you. And we just thank you, Lord, that you're that kind of God. And I just ask you to make that real to all of us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.